Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Last Thursday, we arrived home from our second captain's 10-year anniversary trip to New York to find the football and political scene in the UK dominated by the Gary Lineker situation. Ken managed to get his head around it in time to chat to Peter Gagan, editor-in-chief of open democracy while thanking his guest at the end of that interview Ken mentioned almost in passing we probably haven't heard the last of this issue <laughs> never was a truer word spoken welcome to Monday's football podcast hey Ken hey Murph hello hey how how's it going since that Thursday pod Lineker was stood down from presenting duties many BBC colleagues then chose to step down in solidarity the BBC became engulfed in its worst crisis in many years, as I've seen it described. Match of the day and match of the day two went ahead without the theme music, most shockingly of all, of course, uh, without presenters, pundits, commentators, minimal graphics, not a huge amount of bells and whistles. And now finally, on Monday morning, we have Lineker tweeting that he's back this week. Whew, quite a few developments. You weren't wrong, Ken. We hadn't heard the last of the story when we finished <laughs> Dr. Peter on Thursday. Yeah, really amazing stuff. Uh, just such a such a botch job by mm. um by the bbc under pressure from the idiot government that they have in the uk i mean i see i see that the um director general tim davy who's he's obviously got a lot of exposure over the last few days um saying uh it's a convenient narrative that uh, basically he buckled to political pressure from the Tory party. I mean, it does look like that. <laughs> you know, it does It does look like yeah. that. You know, I mean, a bunch of them wrote convenient a letter. Convenient doesn't mean wrong, to be fair. He got he got yeah. a letter from... It is convenient to, <laughs> it is to, to read correctly the situation also. Yeah, sometimes yeah. Some, sometimes the convenient explanation is the correct one. Um, yeah, he says that's that's not true. That's not how he works. So, so I suppose he must be saying, this is just a massive mistake by me. 
You know, it's just, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one who did this. I, it wasn't those, it was the 36 MPs from something called the Common Sense Group. The Common Sense Group is, is against wokeness. Um, they, they were, they wrote a letter saying, ah, oh, this is great. Lineker needs to apologize. When in fact, it's Tim Davey who's ended up apologizing, not to Lineker. He's, he hasn't quite uh, gone to the extent of begging forgiveness from Gary Lineker personally. Uh, he has apologized to, in general, to staff, contributors, presenters, and most importantly, our, our audiences, he says. And I apologize uh, for this. The potential confusion caused by the gray areas of the BBC's social media guns that was introduced in 2020 is recognized. I want to get matters resolved and our sport content back on air. Impartiality is important to the BBC. It's also important to the, pub important to the public. The BBC has a commitment to impartiality in its charter and a commitment to freedom of expression. That is a difficult balancing act to get right. It certainly is. <laughs> it has proven so in the last few days. <laughs> where people are subject to different contracts and on-air positions and different audiences social media profiles, BBC's social media guidance is designed to help manage these sometimes difficult challenge challenges. I'm aware there is a need to ensure the guidance is up to this task. It should be clear, proportionate, and appropriate. Accordingly, we are announcing a review led by an independent expert reporting to the BBC on its existing social media guidance, with a particular focus on how it applies to freelancers outside news and current affairs. BBC and myself are aware Gary is in favour of such a review. The BBC will announce shortly who will conduct that review whilst this work is undertaken. The BBC's current social media guidance remains in place. Gary is a valued part of the BBC. I know how much the BBC means to Gary. I look forward to him presenting our coverage. So, um, so when he talks about the social media guidance, there's a difference between guidance and, and guidelines. Guidelines means rules. Guidance is interpretation of rules. Right now, the, they changed their guidance as he first. He came in in September 2020. Gary Lineker um, signed a new contract in a couple of weeks later, or was announced that he'd signed the new contract a couple of weeks later. He took a, I believe, £400,000 pay cut at that point, down to £1.35 which means he's still the highest paid presenter at the BBC, but less well paid than he was previously. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, they changed the guidance or, or announced their new uh, social media guidance the following month. And the relevant change for Gary Lineker, this is a paragraph that was not in a performance. Well, let's just read. Application to everyone working for the BBC. Individuals working in news and current affairs across all divisions and factual journalism production, along with all senior leaders, have a particular responsibility to uphold the BBC's impartiality through their actions on social media, and so must abide by specific rules set out in this guidance. Factual journalism includes returning strands which cover topical issues, such as Country File, The One Show, and Woman's Hour. It does not include, for example, specialist authored or limited documentary series. There are also others, now this is the relevant bit, this is the bit that wasn't in there before. There are also others who are not journalists or involved in factual programming, who nevertheless have an additional responsibility to the BBC because of their profile on the BBC. We expect these individuals to avoid taking sides on party political issues or political controversies and to take care of when addressing public policy matters. This apparently internally was known as the Lineker Clause because Lineker um, had already, uh, by the time this guidance was was um, brought in this updated guidance he he'd already had a bunch of kind of run-ins let's say with the with the government mainly but also you know expressing opinions about i mean brexit was obviously the main thing that he was pissed off about and, and was frequently expressing opinions about which were unpopular with the you know brexit government 
Um, but also Corbyn, he you know he wasn't a, he wasn't a fan of Jeremy Corbyn, and uh, he would express views on that. So you know he he had a history of expressing views on, let's say, the current political scene, which evidently they wanted to stop. But he kind of felt, well, you know, I mean, I can continue to talk about things. I mean, this is sort of ridiculous, you know. This is kind of and in terms of what he actually said, by the way, I see quite a lot of the I see quite a lot of the uh, the commentary about this is um, sort of sort of says at some point, oh, well, we all know that like what he said was stupid and, you know, he should never have said that. And, you know, it's like a lot of uh, it's, you know, obviously the thing he said was wrong, but, you know, that's not the point. What he actually said was this, right? First of all, he tweeted, good heavens, this is beyond awful. And it was over a video of Suella Braverman, the, the UK Home Secretary, announcing her um, announcing this new uh, policy, this illegal migration bill. Um, and then someone says something to him, which has since been deleted by the tweet author. Um, Gary Linker's reply to that, and this is the one that, that caused the trouble, uh, in particular, he said, there is, not, there is no huge influx, I assume he was referring here to a huge influx of, of refugees. We take far fewer refugees than other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s. And I'm out of order. So that's what he, uh, that's what he said. And this supposedly is, well, he should never, obviously you shouldn't have said that. And yeah. But hang on a second, you know, what's, what's the claim he's making here? Well, well, well the, the, the 1930s Germany, the, the, some of the conversations I've seen, have, um, some, some of the, a lot of people are making the point that you, you can make the argument uh, without bringing up, once you bring up Nazi Germany, basically, it just takes, it escalates it to a whole new level and it brings, it brings a lot of heat on what you're saying. Whereas you can make the point about how cruel it is and all those sorts of things without bringing up that language. That that that's I mean that was basically what you're hearing over the last few days. Yeah, but but the point is that his uh, his tweet on base of it is certainly defensible. Um, language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s. Now I don't like that by because I mean it's, it implies that Germany was the one um, saying these words. Since we know Germany, you know. <laughs> You know what I mean? I suppose you could say the the German um, government, but actually, if you look at uh, if you, ha, have you ever listened to Suella Braverman? Like, I mean, have you ever actually listened to her her rhetoric? Uh, I mean, she talks about cultural Marxism. You know, she's she's been criticised for this before. She, you know, um, it is cultural Marxism. I'm sorry, but if you're talking about cultural Marxism, you can't then complain if people say this language is not dissimilar to the language used you know in germany in the 1930s you actually can't complain because culture culture bolshevismus in its you know in its original form in the 30s was an obsession of the period you know they, they had these degenerate art exhibitions you know oh, these these guys have painted this we saw a bit of degenerate art last week in in uh, in MoMA, Murph, uh, some, some of mm, these, some of these nonsensical, you know, what is this? I don't, I don't know what this is. You know, why can't they just paint this properly? You know, that, 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 that those, that, that degenerate art that they ended up making a big exhibition of to say, this is how not to do it. That, that, that was their, you know, an example of cultural Bolshevism, cultural Bolshevism is which they talked about. I mean, Suella Brevin uses these words. Uh, now, I mean that um, you know that that uh, Mephisto 
the movie that we, uh, myself and Kieran, our two-person uh, fan club of, <laughs> um, the the movie was, or the book, it's based on a book that was published in 1936 by Klaus Mann, who was the son of Thomas Mann. Um, so 1936, like he's right there in the in the sort of the the Nazi heyday, let's say, and the story is all about. Um, it's kind of irrelevant, to, irrelevant, I suppose, to this kind of story is. Uh, well, it's to do with an actor who, um, you know, he's successful and he's kind of a, he, he's sort of successful in the sort of radical uh, left-wing underground theater scene. And then the sort of Nazis come to power and a lot of his friends have to then run away to, you know, places like uh, the Netherlands and France and so on. But actually, you know, and he does it as well at first, but it turns out that, you know, they kind of like him as well and think he's a good actor and, you know is it really that different? And so he kind of comes back and, you know, he becomes successful. And then, so it's all about his, his sort of moral journey, let's say. But I remember a scene in it where, um, he meets this guy, uh, Caesar von Muck, uh, who is this awful, uh, guy who we've, we've met earlier on in the, in the story, you know, he's, everyone understands this guy's awful, you know, he's a Nazi, uh, playwright, and he's just been appointed to be the director of the Staatstheater, um, by the Minister of Propaganda, who isn't named in the book, but obviously is Joseph Goebbels. And so he's now a powerful uh, cultural gatekeeper. In other words, Hendrik Hufkin, our central character, who was based on a real person who didn't like this book, uh, by the way, when it came out, <laughs> he really thought that this, this character isn't exactly what happened. But uh, our uh, central character uh, has to go and meet him and do a bit of brown nosing. You know, because obviously this guy's now in charge of the Staatstheater, and if you want to work there, this guy's got to basically you know, take that off. Uh, and uh, so he says the, the playwright had given Hufkin, who had always rejected his plays, an icy reception. His face with the steel eyes and pinched mouth had had the expression of unapproachable severity and dignity as he said, I don't know whether you'll settle back in with us, Mr. Hufkin. There is now a different spirit than the one you were used to in this house. Cultural Bolshevism has come to an end. Here, the writer of the Tannenberg drama stretched himself threateningly. You will not have the opportunity to appear in the plays of your friend Mardere or in the French farces so popular, popular with you. Now, neither Semitic nor Gallic, but German art is being made here. You will have to prove, Mr. Hifkin, that you are capable of helping us with such sublime work. Uh, so all I'm saying here is when you're using language like that and then someone says your language is not dissimilar to that used in Germany in the, in the 30s, <laughs> bang to rights. You know, it's, it's I kind of feel like 1931 was also in the in the 30s, you know? 1933 was also in the 30s. I mean, you know, the, like Nazism didn't like land fully formed uh, in 1938 or something. No, Do you know what I mean? No, like, I mean this is before Anschluss. Or, you know, like like 3 weeks before Anschluss, they they win a, a a thumping electoral victory and decide, right, here lads, this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to do things. Like the decade was pretty long. And the Nazis were in charge for pretty much all of it. Decade went and all the way back to 1918. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just... But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like um, this... The, the, the idea seems to be that, you know, in order for a comparison to be made uh, about your rhetoric uh, to the rhetoric of that time, you know, you've got to be uh, wearing a uniform and speaking German. You know what I mean? Like, like it's just sort of... Like, what, what, like that's... The, the cultural Marxism is something Swell Breverman said a while ago. I mean, she didn't say it, okay, to do with this um, migration bill. But what she, she talked about was like, uh, there's a hundred million people out there who are displaced um, because of conflict. And they're coming here. Let me be perfectly clear. They're coming here. She stood in the House of Commons and claimed that there was a hundred million 
refugees on their way to the UK unless she did something about it. And the people over there, this is another, this is, here's another point. The people over there, the, the opposition, that is, are betraying hardworking British people. That's the phrase that she used about Labour in her Daily Mail piece, which was launching this uh, policy just a, a couple of days ago. Right now, that's, uh, you know, what she's saying, she's pointing out there at her opposition saying these people are engaged in a plot against the, the, the real people of this country. Right now, I'm sorry, but that's another, there's another rhetorical, it's, it's not just the case of, we actually disagree with you about immigration, you know, I know that there are all kinds of arguments, and you think this evidence is important, and we think that evidence is important, but you know, um, we respect you, but respectfully, we've got, we've got like more uh, votes than you in this house, and so that's, we're going to put through this bill, because we think this side is more important, but you know, fair power, all power to you for making a good argument. No, it's like, this is a plot against the, it's a betrayal. Right, that's this is where these rhetorical similarities come in. The left are attacking our profound elemental values, wanting to replace them with the poison of identity politics. I mean, you know, again, it's it's an attack against the people, like the or her, uh, you know, talking about overwhelming um, the refugees coming, sort of overwhelming us and all this. An invasion, as as an an invasion, you know, this sort of militaristic um, metaphor. Now, I'm sorry, but again. You know, if you look at the rhetoric of that period, and I'm not saying this is the only period when such rhetoric was ever used, and part of the problem maybe is the poverty of, of, of the range of possible historical allusions. I mean, I've always been impressed when it, whenever I've been in the UK of like the book section in W. H. Smith's is just all about World War Two. <laughs> It's like, it's amazing. It's just like this obsession that never ends with World War II. Because obviously World War II in the, in the sort of British mythology is like the ultimate um, we are the good guys story. You know, so it's, 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 it's got this, and, and there's good guys and there's bad guys and we're the good guys and the bad guys are these guys in, in you know, high boots and black uniforms and, and um, that's the ultimate manifestation of evil and, and you can't possibly, but actually there are rhetorical similarities here. And, you know, and, and the case, I suppose, has to do with, you know, again, it doesn't happen all at once. I mean, there's another thing I was reading recently. The, I was telling you, um, I was reading the Tolstoy diary, you know, it's quite long, so mm. you, can, you can dip in and out. Uh, and he's, I think he's having a pop. I'm not sure. He may be, he may be having a pop at another Russian author here, but he says, the description of a struggle between good and evil and a man who is attempting to do or who, just, who has just done an evil act has always seemed to me unnatural. Evil is done easily and inconspicuously, and only much later does a man become horrified and amazed at what he has done. You know, it's not like you, you think at the time, well, I'm about to do this really evil thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> even, mm. even, the, even the Nazis weren't thinking this. You know what I mean? So there, there may be a problem in, in terms of there isn't enough kind of awareness of history outside that to make another comparison. I saw Stephen Bush, the Financial Times columnist, said, you know, one problem I have with this is why talk about Germany in the 30s? Why not talk about Britain in the 30s? You know, in Britain in the 30s, there was also plenty of this, um, this sort of rhetoric. I mean, also, obviously, you had the British Union fascists, you know, you had um, like the, the king. The king was pretty sympathetic to the to Nancy. You know what I mean? Like there was a, there was a bit of an establishment rot situation um, going on there. Um, so the, so you know, but but I, I think this is this is maybe one of the, the problems that that Britain has is that is that sort of hyper awareness of you know what went on in uh, World War Two and the crimes of Germany and a sort of lack of awareness of almost anything else in history. So maybe this is why people end up making 
comparisons because they they they're not aware of other th- that's other the, that's equally the frame relevant of things yeah. to compare to. But you know, I can see also people saying, "Well, this is ridiculous. It's so it's so alarmist." You know, to suggest that that you know we're on that kind of a track. Um, this is just a migration bill. This has got nothing on what ha- what actually happened there. And you know, so so that it's a, it's a it's a it's a hysterical kind of comparison to make. But if anyone doubts the 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 power of incremental change uh, over time to to really transform things in ways you don't expect, imagine going back to 2015 uh, and telling some of these guys. Um, who were tweeting, t- telling telling a bunch of these people who I saw on, on Twitter on Saturday night after that ridiculous match of the day or not match of the day football highlights program. Well, went, we'll, t- we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that t- after. Yeah, go but, back to. But yeah. those people, those people said, "Well, this is much better." Like John John Redwood or whatever, uh, saying, "Oh, all the goals were in, and you had good replays to understand what had happened." Or or some ridiculous MP whose name I can't remember talking about. Oh, this is the best match of the day ever. I got to, I was able to get down the local. Uh, none, of, none of this woke <laughs> nonsense, you know. None of the, the pundits or the, the you know, and, and or, or people like Martin Dobney yeah. going, you know, saying this was great. And imagine going back to 2015 and telling any of these guys uh, in eight years' time, you will go on Twitter. Uh, cheering the cancellation of match of the day, right? <laughs> you will be saying, "Isn't it great that we didn't match of the day?" Ah! You know, that's that's the position that you have sort of painted yourselves into by a series of small steps over time. Like it's literally they're like, you know, uh, sick of sitting around the dinner table with your family. You know, have all your nutrients in one easy to swallow pill. You know, it's much it's much better. You know, you don't have to put up with the wife wittering on with the woke nonsense she's been reading in the guardian you know what i mean <laughs> it's just one easy to swallow pill you know this is literally yeah. the kind of mental process like it's just all of these people all of these people are just like the shelbyville you know lemon sucking yeah. guy <laughs> pretending this I'm, is great I, I i much prefer uh the vegetable stalls when there's only turnips on sale <laughs> who wants to walk around the vegetable store wondering which vegetable to have Good when turnips. you can just have as much turnips as you like Absolutely. and then you can get on with the rest of your day without having to worry about whether it's going to be a carrot or a <laughs> cabbage or a turnip the most versatile route yeah. you know just get the turnips get all in. the bases covered with turnips that's that's the kind of mentality but you see it's it's like a it's a football mentality you know, that's the kind of funny thing about it. Like, uh, it's it's like, oh, my team, uh, the, the way that fans will twist themselves into whatever c- mental contortions in order to justify the outrages committed by their team. And that's, that's, that's the way that actually people look at politics, which I think makes it sort of, uh, you know, that, the, the thing about the BBC's guidelines is that even before they introduce that little extra element governing like the big fish presenter who isn't, you know, the big fish sports presenter, Lineker. <laughs> the Lineker clause, right before then, their uh, their guidelines, and still the guidelines don't apply as stringently to people involved in news, current affairs, blah blah blah, as they do to those, in, or, or rather, don't they, they rather they yeah. apply more stringently, more strictly yeah. to people involved in news, blah blah blah, than if you're if you're doing sport or if you're like I don't know Jamie Oliver is he on the BBC or you know if someone someone Jeremy like Clarkson that, or. Yeah. Jeremy Clarkson. I mean, see, this is the other problem we had. The, the massive, the obvious hypocrisy. You know what I mean? Of, of like, you have people like Andrew Neil or um, 
you know, there was a bunch of different examples of these um, of these people who yeah, too many, too many to mention. I mean, it's yeah, bizarre and stupid anyway. Who, who, yes. who are who are going to say? So Alan Sugar was another one who will say mm. things which are blatantly um, <clears throat> politically uh, or, or partisan in the same way that Lineker's thing is, just in 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 a different direction, which is more agreeable to the government. You didn't have like the common sense group of MPs against wokery um, writing. Uh, writing letters demanding that that um that they be forced to apologize you know what i mean it's just it's just crazy so uh, in so many different ways like for, for so first of all what i'm saying is i think Linker's thing is defensible the way that he's phrased it not dissimilar to language used in germany by germany he says i i would have i would have said in there uh in the 30s is that that's defensible that is the, that's a defensible thing uh, in in my opinion, to say, and then for them to come down so heavy on them, oh, we're not yielding to political pressure. Well, you know, I mean, okay, you're going to say that, but people have to make people will have to make up their own minds as they do when you present the impartial news. You know, that's the idea. But the the whole idea of impartiality is sort of thrown into also an interesting relief by this. Because well, this is something because what you, what you said there, it, you mentioned how sports figures are sport is set with separately to news within the BBC within those guidelines that you're talking about yeah and really that that as you point out in the Irish Times today that it kind of makes the point that sport the whole sport and politics not mixing you know yeah. it's it's so it's different coming out of a sports percentage amount when actually I mean that that's obviously such a such an antiquated notion in the first place yeah. it's, it's almost hard to know where to begin with that one. yeah I mean the, the, the idea is basically it doesn't really matter what the kids say in the playpen you know, you know what I mean? They can. That's that's fine. That's a playpen. Everyone understands that that doesn't count. But there's there are so many different reasons why that's not true anymore. Um, I mean, there's the the politicization of the increasing sort of politicization of sport, as as you know, vividly demonstrated with the recent World Cup. You know, um, which 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 means that if you want to, uh, if you actually are involved in commentating on sport, you now kind of have to also at least understand the political context or be aware of what's happening. I'm not saying necessarily that you have to be as vocal as somebody like, for instance, Gary Neville, you know, Gary, Gary Neville, who goes on and, and I mean, during the Super League thing, there were moments when he, he seemed to be approaching um, a position where he was against the institution of private property. Now, I'm sure that, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's at the end of the day millionaire property developer maybe he, he wouldn't have followed that through to the end but like he you know it was it was extremely it was extremely political for instance obviously neville is working for a different organization a private organization they're not involved in this constant battle with the government over their funding you know the government saying well we're going to shut you down you've got to stop saying this blah 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 you know they're answerable to their corporate bosses, which isn't to say that they're impartial or unbiased. It's just their their biases are different, let's say. You know, and, and this is the sort of interesting thing that, that reveals about the BBC. The BBC would like to be like, we are we are impartial, sort of you can trust us. We're not we don't sort of answer to any bosses, unlike, for instance, any of these other news organizations that you can see. If you look at all of the top rated um, news shows in America, they're all like massively partisan. You know what I mean? Like they're just like there's a, a madman shouting on the screen, right? That's that's the that's the successful format. That's the one that gets most viewers. 
like Tucker Carlson. Actually, he's not number one because I was checking this. There's something called The Five on Fox where they get like five madmen to or, or mad 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 people to come on. <laughs> These people aren't mad. Why am I saying mad is, is a stupid way to describe them? But let's say they're all on Fox, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, Tucker Carlson has, has been up there for years. You know, he it's it's impossible to imagine a more partisan, um, less, less impartial uh, show, you know, Hannity is there, you know, Rachel Maddow, people like this, you know, so, so that's kind of what evidently gets ratings, right? That's the format that gets ratings. I'm sure there are lots of sensible shows where they sit there and calmly discuss the issues, you know, on this, on the one side, on the other hand side. And if we look through this prism, it says this, and you know, but they're, they're not in the, they're not visible in the ratings, right? If you look at like the, the the internet i mean who's the the main internet broadcaster now is joe rogan right i mean the man is like not he's not impartial he is not uh i mean he claims to be but he's not and he's not he didn't get to where he is by scrupulously employing journalistic rigor and standards let's say right he's it's he's offering something else okay now i'm not saying the bbc should do that but you are kind of left scratching your head going, what, what is it that they can do? The problem with what they've done here with, with taking Lineker off is that it makes them look like they're kind of like Fox, except that instead of it being the Murdoch family, um, it's the, it's the British government or the British state that's, that's, that ultimately decides what's allowed to be said and what can't be said. You know what I mean? Uh, the BBC is trying to be something other than that, or kind of trying to, that that's that's what it's been i suppose but really um this when something like this happens it's like ah it's actually it's actually the government you're like fox instead of the murdoch family it's the it's the british state like who seriously believes in the world that the british national broadcaster is an impartial organization nobody i don't think anyone really believes that regardless of what the charter says or regardless of what they aspire to people just don't believe it because i don't think anybody really believes anymore in the, the kind of idea of impartiality. You know, it's like uh, you're always going to be colored by some kind of an ideology. You know, you're always, there, it's always going to sort of, it's always going to be there. I mean, how, how do, it's, it's like Peter was saying um, on Thursday, like impartiality is, is kind of an abstract principle. So you can only approach it by like the, the practical measure of balance. You know, I, well, you know, we've got people on saying, uh, the the climate is heating up, but here's some other people saying actually that's you know it's not really happening, and we'll get them yeah. both on, and then that's impartial. It's it's not. It's just nonsense. You know what I mean? Like it's not. It's not really. Uh, it's not really. Uh, uh, it, well, what's the point of it? It's stupid. Lineker's, Lineker's statement, by the way, says today, after a surreal few days, I'm delighted that we have navigated a way through this. I want to thank you all for the incredible support, particularly my colleagues at BBC Sport for the remarkable show of Solidarity. Football is a team game, but their backing was overwhelming. I've been presenting sport on the BBC for almost three decades. I'm immeasurably proud to work with the best and fairest broadcaster in the world. I cannot wait to get back in the match of the day chair on Saturday. A final thought, however difficult the last few days have been, it simply doesn't compare to having to flee your home from persecution or war to seek refuge in a land far away. It's heartwarming to have seen the empathy towards their plight from so many of you. We remain a country of predominantly tolerant, welcoming and generous people. Thank you, love heart emoji. So there are a few things there, you know, he's certainly not backing away from his comments or offering any sort of apology or anything like that. And he is expressing 
unsurprisingly, support for his colleagues who did show solidarity, starting with Ian Wright. Yeah. Who I think once once I saw the right there, I thought, oh, that right, changes is, changes this, everything. Yeah. It changes what's everything. What's going to happen now? Because the, whoever sits there is going to well, hang on a second. Yeah. So you're okay with how they're treating Lineker? Yeah. And then it really spiraled over the course of that 24 hours or so, like just everything getting axed and things getting cut sh- uh, cut down and shut down it was remarkable. Really. Well, it that, really that, it's that it's the key mo- it's a key moment of the whole thing. Is right, oh, right, right. Yeah, because uh, obviously it's not something that Tim Davy expected when he did this. You yeah. know, I mean, I, because this is this has been a massive embarrassment for him. The weeks, the weekend of programming was essentially uh, cancelled or replaced with nonsense, um, and he's had to now apologise to everybody. Apart from Gar- he doesn't name Gary Lineker, but like you know, the apology is like, oh, uh, yeah, I apologise to everyone, all other people who work here and our, our audiences. Now, there's no way that he was that that was in his plan right? <laughs> it's not a position he wanted to end up in like oh god i've had to reinstate the guy and apologize not to him but to but to everybody and i'm saying i i, I didn't uh you know succumb to pressure and all this kind of stuff um but the thing he obviously didn't expect was something like what ian wright did if Ian Wright says, I'm not doing it, suddenly it's over to you, big Al. You know, what What are you going to do, <laughs> you know? And, and like, I mean, uh, and, and Cher, what, you know, what's Cher going to do? Like, is he ultimately, I mean, I, it was funny also to see the speculation about who would be the person who would, uh, who, who would, who would break well, it. Well, they saw, may have spoken about it as well, Wright and Shearer. I don't know. I'm sure they did. I mean, I'm sure. Well, uh, Wright, Wright uh, certainly sorry, spoke, to they spoke about it. But what I'm saying is it was, it, it was very close together. So I don't know if that was just a timing thing that it was, but certainly Wright, the first person to, to do it is the one who's, who's looking like they're the they're the one making the stand but and then um, everyone else is like well yeah. okay this is uh, uh you know oh captain my captain you know standing up in their desks or whatever and uh and that's 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 solidarity you know it's a it's a it's obviously not something nick uh, uh davy expected to encounter <laughs> i thought we i thought we got rid of that i mean I, i'm not i wouldn't say that it was uh it was necessarily uh, it it would be bulletproof and would last, you know, if he was prepared to drag drag this out. But I think it became sort of ridiculous because I think well, no, it meant no. But but you know what? You know what it meant? It meant they had to get this sorted. You know, yeah. they couldn't just leave because right, you, you can leave Lineker on ice for the rest of the season if you want to. You know, it's not not ideal because the story would keep growing legs. But you can't leave the whole bloody sports department on ice, which is what what was going to happen. Yeah. If they had left Lineker, if they let that situation go, it would have been fine. Later on, later on this week, it would have been okay. So what's going to happen next week? Surely, because you can't just be in solidarity with Lineker one week. You have to stay that way. You have to. Yeah. You have to back what you're doing here. So are we going to get? Would we have weeks and months of this horrendous attempt at a match of the day that we saw on Saturday, for example? It's much better. All the other live sport. No, I have heard quite a few people say that. No. Oh, it was a tough. It was a. Well, I think I had to watch it. I was curious. Well, it was hilarious. It was well, honestly, it was such oh. a daft thing to sit down and watch on it, Saturday. It did night. have the kind of feel of like this is. It's like sort of, sort of reminiscent of some of the COVID thing. You know, the the kind of unreality mm. of it. Like uh, the thing about it is, well, what Ken, sorry, it was much more. I know I've cut you off a couple of times here, but you know, I did let you do your half an hour monologue. Mm, so, mm, mm. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, it was a lot closer to what you were looking for out of COVID football. You remember we used to have this d- d- dispute between us where I preferred to leave the fake crowd noise on yeah. just maybe made it feel a bit mm. more like what I'm used to you were like no no, no I want to watch it without the crowd noise yeah. it's it's how it actually is you know this is obviously how football is I know but what you you actually got a better sense of that this time this is this is actually what you're looking for during the lockdown football Ken because you actually do hear a real crowd you hear 
to well yeah they're very short but, but you know you see a football match being played in front of a crowd just with no commentators ruining it and no annoying presenters you know I don't, <laughs> I don't want people to be too fond of what they saw on Saturday and Sunday because you know yeah. they, they might start to question this artifice around the game oh, yeah. presenters for example are they necessary yeah. commentators <laughs> well I mean it's not can you not already do that like switch off all the comms and stuff on, on red button can you, can you have to oh no but mute then you don't get the crowd Oh, sorry, is there a, is there a yeah, version yeah. that you can that you can already get? Maybe I'm not depends sure. on what your, I'm not what sure. your provider was. But like, whatever about a live game, when you're watching highlights, you, you kind of need the yeah. The, you <laughs> need that. You need the commentary or the or the sort of stories in order to kind Story. of to what's yeah. what, what am I paying minute. attention to here? It's like rather than just a yeah. series of unconnected dramatic events with with no <laughs> barren connection to each. You know, no, no. it's 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 all it's like watching a hurling match on the Sunday game. Uh, highlights show where they never throw up what minute things happen in. So you're just like, oh, okay, that seems important. The crowd seem, oh, but what? There's another point. I still don't know. Okay, I know what the score is, but I don't know how much time is left. Therefore, this is just happening in a complete information vacuum. Substitutes as well, Murph, because there were no graphics. The only graphics that would show up during the, there was, so there's no, for anyone who didn't watch it, probably a lot of people, there was no intro music. So it wasn't matched. There was an apology. Everyone's apologizing, except for fucking Lineker, huh? Everyone else is apologizing. (laughs) The continuity announcer's like, "Uh, really sorry about this. But match of the day is going to look a little different here. Uh, we don't have any commentators. Football or, highlights so, you know, program. <laughs> yeah, football highlights program coming right up for you. There's no music, which is the first jarring thing, and then you're just into this like graphic saying Premier League highlights. Then into the first game, which was Liverpool, I think, on Saturday. Then, then it's just a it's just an abrupt segue from game to game with that little Premier League graphics thing coming on screen for a moment but the, the, there were no graphics at all so for example right Arsenal last night suddenly Gabriel Jesus has the ball and, mm. and has a shot oh, right. Right. Jesus was, yeah. that's a pretty massive story just as they're closing <laughs> the title he's back did he start I had to go up and check afterwards did he start the game no he came on as a substitute so yeah you, you absolutely don't get the story of the game and also personally I like Pep after a match being rude to interviewers. Oh, yeah. I, l- I like the analysis sometimes. You know, I feel I do get sometimes get something out of out of it. I learn a little bit more, and there was none of that going on. It was just like here's some football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That no, was so so overall. Two point six million viewers can't be wrong though, Ken. The viewership was up. Yeah, the viewership was up. Of course, it was up. Like I mean, people have been talking about it all week, and everyone wanted mm. to see what the f- sort of freak show was gonna was going to look like you know i mean it was that that was why people were watching that that was why it, it went up um yeah i mean the people are like oh the, the match of the day figures aren't that big you know that what was it two 2.6 million viewers i mean you know that's not far off what tucker carlson gets I and mean, he's on 35 million a year so um i don't know it maybe that is the, the private sector i suppose skylinker is unlikely to be working for fox anytime soon maybe he's more of an msnbc guy I don't know if they're on the, they they go up to the sort of thirty million range, but people complaining about his one point three million. Um, when you see uh, what some other people are getting paid for, well, not really a huge amount more. It seems like well, this is really to be really fair, much. right? It probably wasn't the worst weekend in the world for this to happen from BBC's point of view. <laughs> it was amazing, right? <laughs> it wasn't vintage. It wasn't really vintage Premier League. It's not going down. It's not going to be too many Premier League years moments being showing too many of these games and decades ago well, maybe Casemiro's red card uh, well imagine it had been next week I mean they're doing all the FA Cup next week you know it would have been 10 times worse uh, just from a what are we got, what are we actually going to do uh, <laughs> situation but oh, wow. but the, obviously the the, uh, the Premier League uh, a good weekend for Arsenal uh, Man City hanging in there uh, Grimley hanging in there Casemiro 
Oh my God, this is this is incredible. The man has has never been sent off before, and he he gets sent off twice in like what three games? <laughs> it's like he's now. So I think he's been available for twenty, or rather, he's been at the club for twenty matches when he could have been in the squad. Twenty Premier mm-hmm. League matches, and he has already served four matches of suspension and will serve the next four <laughs> suspension. So I think it's, what is it? Okay, so it's nine or, yeah, eight of his first potentially 27 matches because he wasn't in the squad the first time, the, the Liverpool game. Um, he will have missed due to suspension, which is phenomenal. I mean, they're Luis Suarez numbers. You know, this is like, how have you managed to, to achieve this? This is incredible for a player who who was never never received a red card playing for uh, playing in the Spanish league um, at the height of let it flow. I mean, imagine what would have happened if he'd moved over two seasons before. And it's so random. Like, uh, I mean, you know, the, there was that Sabitzer challenge. The other, you remember, remember the Sabitzer one on on Vout Fast? I mean, you know, that was it seemed worse to me than Casemiro. Um, but, you know, that's that's fine. That was that was nothing. And then this is a straight red. And because it's a second straight red, it's a four-match ban. I mean, if you look at his last few matches, you know, he missed the Arsenal game because he was suspended for for five yellows. Came back in, got sent off. Missed the next three. Uh, came back in. Uh, I can't remember which game it was. But then there was the 7-0. And then he gets sent off in the next game. And now he's out for, for another four. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, is he doing anything different from what he usually does? No. He's just been randomly punished twice in the row. He's like a lottery winner. He's just won the lottery in consecutive weeks, except it's bad. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations. They are amazing. Stupendous. Thursday, September 14th, promises to be one of the biggest nights in Second Captain's history. We're celebrating 10 years live at the Olympia Theatre in Dublin. The Olympia Theatre, guys, it's going to be ridiculous. The show is a complete set out thanks to our incredible World Service members. Advance notice on live tickets It's just another perk of World Service membership. And it's a busy week this week for our members. Another two football pods to come. Stephen Kenny has a squad announcement for the France game. Real versus Liverpool in the Champions League. Build up wow. to the Grand Slam match against wow. England. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Secondcaptains.com. It's exciting. Five euro a month plus fat. 
Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thank you. Thank oh, you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening. Don't forget the Second Captain's Podcast is part of the, of A-Cast. the A-Cast Creator, Creator Network. Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.